Jason, welcome. Welcome to the Hustle and the Houses podcast. Uh, hey, everyone. No problem at all. So for anyone who doesn't know you, what is your name and, and what do you what do you do? Great question. My name is Jason Woodall. <laughs> I've got that bit right. Uh, I'm a professional investor and I use property as a tool. Um, over the years, I've managed to uh, build my portfolio, which has made me financially independent. I've also worked with other investors from the UK as well as around the world to help them get involved in property in the UK, create their financial freedom and move on to live their best lives. And my future role is I'm taking my coaching and mentoring, uh, which I kind of stumbled into with um, teaching other people the ropes over the years uh, into some sort of online format uh, that is affordable and accessible for everybody rather than just uh, people that have uh, a big bag of money to spend. I'd rather you spend that bag of money on your investments and we'll do more of a crash course and get you going. And at least at the end of what we work with, you'll have an investment that will pay you back what you spend on a monthly basis. Interesting. So what, what do you finally like sort of focus on then? Is it more BRRs? Is it, is it, is it single lets? Is it HMOs or is it I've a got Mixed bag. Um, what I really focus on to start with, um, if I give you a little bit of history on myself, I'm 52 years young. I've been in business pretty much all my working life. Uh, one of the fun things the teacher said to me as I was pretty much shown the gate at the school at the age of 15, 16 was nice one, son. Next time we see you back here is if you're cutting the grass or cleaning the windows. Now go out into the big wide world. A lot of people might be a bit horrified by that sort of statement. For me, I took it as sound, great business advice. I mean, as a kid, I went in pocket money, used to cut mum and dad's lawn, used to cut the neighbor's lawn. And so what I did, I was just literally wandered up the street, cutting grass, cleaning windows, cleaning cars. Um, and over the course of a year, when I started to learn to drive, I had a pretty good business. And I did go back to the school and I did cut the grass and clean the windows because I had to contract for the councils and councils for all the schools in the area. And I sold my first business as a going concern. And then I got into construction and landscaping. So I kind of learned how to create things early on. Uh, very much more of a hands-on sort of person rather than somebody who can sit in a classroom and take on information information that way and there's nothing wrong with that it depends what floats your boat really uh, over the years i worked in other construction projects so i've got a good reputation for being very good with numbers even to the point that you know bankers and investors would actually call me to use my business to the problem shoot developments that maybe run out of a bit of money looking for further funding i used to go in and evaluate deals for them to see if it's worth them putting in further investment or just pull the plug and uh you know auction off the site or the properties as a going concern for somebody else to pick up and that took me all over the country that took me around europe where i helped uh, a group of british investors uh repossess six and a half million euros of stolen properties and apartments from a certain bulgarian mafia type we stayed on and oversaw the completion of the project once we had got back the initial investments and it opened up as a hotel apartment complex uh back in 2011. i spent quite a lot of time away at that point um and pretty much came back with a bit of money but i didn't really have much of a business with the credit crunch of 2008 everything had changed the way business was done the way you could borrow mortgages when i first got my mortgages i could almost like tell the bank how much i thought i was going to burn next year and that's how much they'd lend me um which is good fun at the time i'm sure i've made more than yes. of that 
<laughs> yeah, I think I might, you know, if I do it over time, I might get this. I might earn that. Yeah, put that figure down. Yeah, we'll end it. We'll end it. That all changed. <laughs> Bastard. Um, and or see, credit references were invented. And you know, the system needed changing up. A lot happened pro there. But going sort of like on, on my journey, um, whilst I was away, I, in, I studied investing and studied like a bit about stocks and shares as like a little bit of an MBA you could do at the time on, on the internet, which was interesting. And that's why I say today, I'm a professional investor and I use property as a tool because what it really taught me was that even though I was good at business, but, but to really knuckle down and working those numbers and whether it's a house you're buying, whether it's a car you're buying for a, maybe an investment or crate of rare wine or stocks and bonds, it's all about the numbers. So I then got a coach and a mentor that taught me some other strategies and properties like your HMOs, um, BR, I kind of like did that anyhow, buy, refurbish and sort of sell on or what I'm doing now is buy, refurbish and keep finance out, keep the assets. Uh, cash flow properties in the name. I, in, I invest with the cash flow. Capital growth comes with property up and down the UK anyhow, regardless, uh, you know, where you are. But I invest with the cash flow, the here and now. You know, back in the days where your dad said and your granddad said, you know, do this, save for a rainy day. Let's face it, in England, it rains a bloody lot. So you're going to need to save a shitload of money because there's a lot of rainy days. Um, and I kind of think, well, no, I wanted to create passive income. So that's what I did. So the strategies, buy, add value, you know, refurbish and then refinance, rent it out at the pot top money, get as much money back out as possible um, to go and recycle into the next deals uh and i like i've done some land deals option agreements where i've spotted you know chunks of land that could have been potentially used for building sites so i agreed to buy x amount of money i then get planning permissions or sell it to a company that's going to get uh, a planning permission to do that and that's basically your option agreement and i basically work as a middleman and pocket the money's in between so wide variety the strategies i've got rent to rent properties but i'm landlord and i rent them out to other investors and i don't actually do a rent and then rent it myself i've kind of like done it the other way around as a landlord and purchase lease options and other people i've done a few of those yeah that's an, inter an interesting story about this so um when so when did you originally first buy your first property my well, first property was bought back uh when I was a younger man, you know, to live in. And that was a, yeah. an apartment, which we did up, ended up, you know, relationships folded, we ended up selling it. Um, I bought a couple of original, original investment properties um, post credit crunch of 2008, which was really off the back of dad saying, you should do this, or uncle say, you should do that. I had tenants paying most of the mortgage, but I ended up topping it up because it kind of like the rainy day model. You know, great investment property one day, yeah, it'll be part of your pension scheme. I started professionally investing, sort of like uh, whilst I was studying and working abroad. So 2009, I started to really look at all the different strategies and start implementing investors' mindset on accumulating properties. But realistically, probably about 20 years, even though 2008 isn't 20 years ago, those were kind of like my beginning yeah. ones. Ones I kind of carved my teeth, lost money, good, bad, or ugly. Actually, I didn't lose money. I did okay, but I just shifted stuff about. 
once I learned an investor's mindset and the different properties that you, uh, strategies you can uh, use to buy properties, and that that was key. Getting the mentoring, getting some coaching, um, that was key to my success. You know, I'm financially free. Got properties in the here in the UK. I've got some properties in Spain. Looking to add to that part of the portfolio over the coming years as well. So yeah. So where about in the in the UK do you invest, Jason? Geography doesn't matter. I live on the South Coast, and this is another really important thing that, you know, a lot of people said, oh, you need to buy the house where you live. Why? Keep an eye on it. You're going to go and clean the toilets out. You know, business is about systems. It doesn't matter. It's about the calculator. My personal portfolio, my best cash flowing properties are ones that are up around Manchester, across the Midlands. Um, I do have some others down on the south coast, uh, sort of Bournemouth Way, Southampton, Bogham Way, but those are specifically HMOs. You know, the, the buy to let market doesn't really work in the more expensive areas. But don't think a buy to let property is a dull market. I'd say it's probably the best one that anyone can get into, even if you, you buy something completely out of the way, carve your teeth on something simple. It works in two good ways. If you buy well, that simple buy to let could be your first refurbish and refinance it could be your first hmo if you buy correctly maybe that little two up two down you can get extended or permitted development and turn it into your first hmo later on so don't ever turn your eyes away from the buy to let because if you get that strategy right that will provide you with your flats your hmos your student lets your rent to rents your service accommodations uh, so yeah predominantly my biggest cash flowing uh, properties are up around the Midlands. So, sorry, it froze there, Jason. Uh, okay. So, we're so, so so to you, Ed, you kind of look at like a deal as a deal, and if it's a deal, I'm buying it. Is that how you sort of work? Yeah, purely unemotional on the calculator. Probably repeated it a few times. I don't apologize for that. I'm a professional investor. Use properties at all. It takes the emotion out of it. People get too emotional over money. Money has no feelings. Shit will leave your pocket as soon as arriving if you don't take care of it, but it has no emotion. We do. So if you start working off the calculator, which can be a bit dull, looking at the numbers, working out your comparables, it takes emotion side out of it. And that's when you soon learn that also your geography doesn't matter. It's easier to set up decent agents, decent systems, so you don't have to run the business. You have to mind your business. Um, if you, I've, I know exactly when my rent should be coming in, and if it's a day late, I ping the manager. Hey, such and such is a, a day or so late. Can you jump on that straight away? Now, a lot of people will be saying, well, that's what you pay the management for. Yeah, you pay the management to collect the money. You have to mind your business. And if your money's not coming in, you better jump on it pretty quick. The sooner you say jump on a late payment, the quicker it can be resolved. And numbers and statistics and facts show from a lot of agencies and debt collection agencies, if you jump on it, even a small debt within a day or so, you've got 98% chance of resolving it or recovering it. The longer you leave it, often those those percentages start going against you. And your tenants, who are your customers, sometimes just need a chat and a bit of help. 
you know, you've got to take care of people. And if you do that, you can tend to run a smooth business. So even though you might put agents in place, you still need to mind your own business because no one else will. So that's interesting. Do you, obviously, if you invest in different places, um, do you have one manager or do you have multiple managers in different areas, which I imagine is what is what you have? Is that right? Correct. That's absolutely correct. And, you know, it's it's a part of the business that moves. Not just your customers and your tenants will come and go, but also so your agents. If you've got a really good agent, treasure them like uh, they're, your, they're your best friend. If they build the relationship up and just say to them straight, look, you're working for this company or hopefully maybe they're invested, they own their own agency. Great. You've probably got more longevity there. But if they're working for a specific company and you know that person's really on it, you know, just, just tell them, say, look, you know, if you ever decide to move somewhere else, give me notice because I will be coming with you. Um, good agents that are not hard to find, but there is a, a system you need to consider. And also specialist properties like students or HMOs, you really must um, find a good local specialist in such uh, strategies. A straightforward buy-to-let agency often doesn't have it too well with um, HMOs because uh, HMOs obviously can take up a bit more time for the agent. Also, there's more specialist knowledge needed. So I tend to separate the two, if that makes sense. Most definitely, yeah, most definitely. It's an interesting because you, you really look, yeah, as everyone should, you really look at it as a proper business, which which everyone should. But I think sometimes we can all be a bit guilty of, I don't know, because it's property is such a people business. It's it's kind of hard not to be emotionally involved. But like you said, it's a business and it needs to be run as that. Yeah, I I don't mean it to sound too cold, but you you can't you have to look at it as a business. I'm very like I said, I I I don't even like using the word tenant. There are customers. These people are making make my financial independence. These people, my customers, have made me financially independent. My customers have helped me buy uh, my liabilities, which are my properties abroad, that are for my guilty pleasure. And my customers, my wonderful customers, help me buy the cars that I don't drive on planes and I fly in to get to such places. Um, so if you treat them well, they tend to treat you well. I'm like I said, probably slightly older than some people. So there's a saying: give a dog a bone. Everyone's happy. Give a dog a bone. If it bites you back, then you need to deal with it. So yeah, give everyone a chance. <laughs> but remember, you, you must mind your business. It's, it's, yeah. it's so key to everything, to your financial freedom, um, to be able to progress. Because you can get war stories and ugly stories in any industry. And I'd say probably more so with property. There's always something giving landlords uh, a raw deal. Um, and, you know, some of them really deserve it. Let's be truthful about it. Bad news travels and sells, uh, advertising space, good news. I've actually, no, actually, there's lots of really decent landlords and landladies out there that take very good care of their properties and their customers. You know, that'd probably be a boring show for uh, a lot of the tabloids and bits. But, you know, every industry needs uh, holding to account and ours included. Why not? Yeah, yeah. So when when would you say then, Jason, the moment sort of clicked for you? Obviously, you bought your first investment property around 2008. Would you say around that time is when you, you sort of realized, okay, this is the way, this is the way. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. And that's through, that was through education. That was through doing something which I was useless at as a young lad, because I was pretty much thrown out of school. But, I, you know, subjects I was interested in, money, I was making money. It was, it was and I had time on my hands. Uh, so I kind of like just stumbled into it. And it was kind of, um, certainly, even though I had properties for 10 or so years prior to that, you know, I've, I've been doing, I've been investing in properties for 20 years, but it's really since about 2008 that it really flipped into place and actually understanding them and what passive income was, what cash flow is. And it's easy if you're self-employed or in a business, you know what cash flow is cash flow is because you buy product for this price, sell it for that and you pocket it a bit in the middle. Um, but that takes time. Um, and any business you do with property, you will need to put a lot of effort into it. You know, don't give up your day job, wait until things are fluid and replacing your money. That's true financial freedom. A lot of people get a bit confused and, you know, I did and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that where we maybe see articles on YouTube earn 10 grand a month or 10 grand a day or 20 grand a year. You know, I know people that do that. You can do that, but they work bloody hard to get there. Yeah. There's no quick fix unless you win in the lottery or maybe you, you did very well on the crypto, but you can lose it as quick as you make it in some of those schemes. If you don't understand it, understand it and then do it. it it's a, it's a better concept, but yeah. 2008 was the one that kind of like the, the penny drop. Ah, passive income, that's what it means. That's what financial freedom is all about. And have you been on a sort of learning journey since then? Oh, good. Yeah. educating yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Regulations change, things change. There's a big stuff going on at the moment in the service accommodation market, laws and regulations changing um, due to kick in, I think, pretty much nationwide from. Uh, January next year. So there's always something changing, uh, housing acts, uh, you know, and also not just by central government, it's very important wherever you invest to check up with your local housing authority. Central government will write uh, foundational statements that every council might have a little quango, a little quango rule that you need to know or not. It's important that you check locally as well as nationally. Yeah, yeah, I think um, going back to what you said on service accommodation, when you look at the regulations in HMOs compared to service accommodation, it's crazy the amount of difference there. I think HMOs is getting more and more regulated. Mm. Service accommodation is too, but slowly. Um, but I think there's big changes to come, isn't there, in the, in the service accommodation world? Yeah, I mean, you got you got large corporations, you know, that own you know fantastic hotels around the country and of course basically the service accommodation is taking a big chunk of that market um the powers that be um i think it's probably a bit cheap to say don't like it but they need they realize they need to do something about it it's an industry that unfortunately uh we live in a very regulated country um, it's almost like jobs are invented for the sake of job's sake. You can work with it, um, which is the best way. But yeah, there, there's rules and regulations coming in for the service accommodation. HMO stuff, you know, simple. If you're ever renovating a property and you're thinking that one day it'd be an HMO, just overkill it. You know, it doesn't. If you're doing a rewire on a property, just have a fire and smoke alarm put in at the same time. It's the quickest time to do it, even if you're not using it straight away. You can just have it blanked yeah. off. You know, if you're buying a property, you should think, what am I going to do with it now? 
fine, great. Stage one, it works as a buy to let, maybe not that exciting, but stage two, you're going to renovate it, add value, add space, and it's going to turn either into flats, it's going to turn into a corporate let, it's going to be from a two bedroom into a six bedroom. So always think forward. Always think forward. You buy one house, one strategy, you know, that's, that's great as a start. But if you buy one house, use your supervision, see what you can turn it into. You've got three strategies. You've got multiple letting strategies. You've got options. You know, you've got options that will secure if the market changes in the future. Can they carve large blank HMOs? Well, great. It's okay. I've got all the facilities there. I can take it from the HMO and split it into flats. You know, it's just developing your, your supervision and understanding what you can do with uh, a single buy to let to metamorph it into the next evolution. What would you say your, your favorite strategy is then, Jason? Obviously, they're all great. But what, what would you say your favorite when goes perfect is? I, I, I like creating. I'm, I'm quite creative. So I think getting a buy to let right. Because the buy to let will be my next block of flats. It will be my next HMR student there. So I, I enjoyed a hunt of uh, of finding the right baby property, so to speak. You know, because I know over the next couple of years, it's going to morph into the next evolution. And so I, I like that. So yeah, and I like teaching that. And it's not difficult. They are everywhere. There's no real rocket science to it. It's just really future proofing future planning and just uh improving your vision and seeing what you know probably i'll say 90 percent of people miss yeah yeah i uh, i just wanted to touch on a point before you said as well about the um i'd be interested to hear about the, the land that you uh so did you rent some land and then you rented that onto is that right no you said you rent some land Okay, back in the day, it's called a dollar option, and an option agreement is uh, really sort of like spotting something that has a future, a bit like a buy to let you can morph into X, Y, and Z. Some areas, in fact, most areas, uh, have development problems and they've not got enough housing. So you can they're doing what they call a lot of infill. You get some places that might have a reasonable size garden. It might already be up for sale. Um, if somebody's not desperate to sell it, and I've done it with a few people that I've known that have had a, say, a bungalow or a house on a half acre of property, kind of like looked in and thought, well, okay, well, potentially we can get three or four houses on here. So where is that bungalow? It might have been worth, for argument's sake, say 300,000 as the bungalow. With the right planning consent, knocking that bungalow out and building four four-bedroom properties that sell for, I don't know, 600 grand a pot. You can see how you can obviously develop and make money that way you can also make money by just setting up the deal i agree to buy your house and land uh rather than the three hundred thousand. maybe you offer them half a million for it in the old money you'd work on thirds where if i could buy a plot of land build four or half a million pound properties i could have which would be uh two million pounds i could afford to give the landowner a third of that and then you'd allow in old money a third for the development and then there's also a third profit so that's kind of like a dollar contract and it's just an option agreement very simple literally can have one drawn up for a, you know not a lot of money just get the heads of terms right and then um, you've got right 
to do something with that land and execute the purchase subject to getting the permissions that you want. I think I kind of like described that the right way, but no, no, it's it's, it's great. That's a, it's a very creative strategy. Uh, yeah, done for years. Barclay Homes, Bogus Homes. You think of all the land, develop, all the housing developers are as well as all the small ones. That's all. That's basically what they do. The land bank. They have people looking at, um, you know, uh, potential sites that they can build on. Well, that can work for the small developer as well, or the investor that actually just you know looks at areas, looks on the local surveys of properties, sees who's got bigger gardens and space that potentially they can develop on and just look into it. And how, how would you source and take a deal? Um, honestly, start with your right move. Start with your Zoopla, start with your market. Some of the best deals are straight out in front of you. They really are. And then just like look at the property, look at the plot, uh, look on the street view, see what developments are in that area. You know, it's you can just start looking. If you put up like a, an acre of land, you can pretty well, and it was in the countryside, you're probably going to get about four to uh, six houses put on it in a more suburb, you know, urban area. If you've got like an end of terrace and it's got a backyard to it, it kind of re comes out onto the road, you know, you can potentially build a bungalow on the back of it if it if it's big enough. Old old parking lots, old, you know, units of industrial areas as well, calling out for redevelopment in a lot of areas. Obviously, a lot of places in London, you know, probably tied up, but there's other areas of the country, there's other cities, other towns, where the high street's dying and other bits and pieces where maybe you can get redevelopment rights for properties, Suez Generous. You can take maybe an old commercial on the Suez Generous, get it permissioned there turn into part residential or all residential and that's pretty much under premier development so you've got lots of options to look at you just got to develop your vision that's it that's it so what does the future look like for you then jason i know you you, you offer mentoring don't you so yes yeah i my next i've already been doing it in more of a hands-on where i've got customers that are based in the uk that i help buy investments to add to their portfolio. So I've done quite a lot of property sourcing, which is good. It's a good way to um, build up your coffers for your next investments. Um, I've found that I've, I, you know, I work with private clients and that, that I've been working with for quite some time. They've all been, they're all said, I've talked to them so much. Why don't I start offering courses? So I've been thinking about it this year, set up the parameters for it. I've uh, got a new website going live literally in the next couple of days. Um, and I'm going to start off in that surface and, and network that out. And it'll be more of a, more kind of like hands-on sort of 10 to 12 week crash courses. And at the end of it, we should be meeting up somewhere and actually going looking at deals with a view to either getting into purchase or getting contracts to see what you learn. So it's a, it's a course for the people like, um, for anyone that started, the ones that are looking to start, people maybe started and installed. Sometimes I'd go around with people that got a few properties that can appraisal on them to sort of work it out if we can make and maximize the cash flow. Or in some cases, actually, you've done quite well out of it. Maybe it's just time to move that one on and put the money into the, uh, a couple more properties. So, yeah, coursework and mentoring is coming is coming up. Um, looking forward to doing that. Um, but it's going to be really geared up to the people that want to take massive action. Um, 
and it's not going to be expensive. We're, you know, it's going to probably start coaching and mentoring courses are starting from about 3,000 pounds up to sort of like six or seven where we're going to be getting into all the different strategies. But realistically, a lot of people just need that kick start and, you know, the rest of it, you can kind of like learn as you're getting hands on in some respect. So not for the faint hearted, for the people that want to actually do it rather than think about it. But unlike some other places that you can quite easily spend 20, 20, 30 grand on somebody's courses, I want you to take the money and get some assets. Whether they're purchase option yeah. agreements, whether they're going to be a deposit for a property somewhere, or probably up and down around the country. Trust me, you can do a lot of damage with not a lot of money if you just got a little bit of tenacity and the willingness to succeed. Agreed. Agreed, Jason. So, um, where, where's people best to find you then? Obviously you're on Facebook, aren't you? I know you post quite a bit on there. Yep. On the Facebook, on the LinkedIn, uh, cashflowproperties.co.uk. A uh, new website is going live, uh, this week. So I might run into a, a brick wall today. Pardon the pun. Um, lovely lady. <laughs> Got, I'm working with a fantastic lady that's been uh, putting the, the new site together the last couple of weeks. And it's, really, it's, it's ready to be switched on. We've just got to get the, the main name pointed to it. But yeah, social media, LinkedIn, Jason Woodham's uh, Limited or Jason Woodham's Cashflow Properties. You'll find me on cashflowproperties.co.uk. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, um, I think that's a good point to sort of end on is there anything anything you want to anything else you want to talk about at all or uh, yeah I, you know Karen, it, it's really been great bumping into you i hope we, we stay in touch and you know what what's your future look like um to be honest i i've got a lot i've got a lot going on at the moment i've got a lot going on so i'm looking forward to it and i um i invest locally where i live which is uh, on the world um just over the water in Liverpool. So, yeah, I'm right. looking forward to it. I'm, I'm just planning uh, on growing, growing the podcast, and and, and obviously thank you for coming on. Uh, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you, you know, making time to zero upon another chat. Need to stay in touch because it, you know, I do get up uh, around Liverpool and Manchester areas and and beyond a few times a year. Uh, great place. Anybody listening to it, Liverpool and the world, fantastic place to invest. You can't go wrong. Like that. You can't go wrong. Somebody's cities and that. It's great. You get that. You get the uplift of and you get great cash flow for your money as well. Agreed. Agreed. Do you, do you, have you invested at all in, in, in Liverpool area or rural area at all? Or I've got customers that have invested uh, around the Liverpool area. Some of them around the student areas uh, and uh, the docks. Not quite. And Manchester. Done a lot around the Manchester. Obviously. Yeah, it's a growing city, but it's minutes away from Liverpool. I, I sell, tell people, I send people to buy stuff in Liverpool as much as what I do in sort of like Derby or Sheffield. You know, every town, every city is great in the UK for investment. We've got a real shortage of property in the UK. I think the stats show that we, we have got a shortfall of property of about six million. If your listeners, if you cut and paste this, put this bit in. It's always coming a bump. We always need more decent rental properties. We need more new properties. Before COVID, before Brexit, every single politician said they're going to build these millions of new homes. The most we built before Brexit and COVID in one year was just around the 300,000 mark. Well, considering we've had Brexit and COVID and 40% of the labour force have left the country, 
we'd be lucky if we'd be hitting a couple of hundred thousand a year of new properties being built. So demand massively outstrips the supply. So you're always going to be able to find tenants. It's now cheaper to rent than what it is to buy as well. And if people are worried about interest rates, don't just negotiate a better deal on a property. It's a, it's a buyer's market. Fill your boots. Don't be scared. I agree. I completely agree. Um, I know a lot of people hold not because of the rates and stuff like that, but I think like the mindset was with the interest rates are out of normal. When I first started, I'm 52. Interest rates in the late 80s toppled 16.47%. That's mad. You Absolutely mad. There were properties being repossessed in Chelsea and buying via auction. And we're talking like going, going to sort of London. You try and buy a, a place in Chelsea. You won't find one. If you did, it's going to cost you millions. You could pick up a place back in then for about 75 grand. From a property auction, yeah. Imagine what that's worth today of seventy-five. Well, um, it's it's even madness. Yeah, exactly. Now, so if people are worried about interest rates where they are today, you really need to understand the numbers better. They've been exceptionally low, yep, for a long time since the credit country. Why? Because we've been in recession. Where interest rates are today has been normal for the majority of my lifetime. Five, six, seven percent is normal lending levels. They probably will retreat a little bit, but I haven't got magic vision to be able to see if the interest rates are going to come down. That would be dependent on the Bank of England, inflation. And if we get inflation down a bit, probably interest rates will drop because we, we never really come out of the last recession. And when there's a recession, interest rates drop anyhow. So, you know, nothing's guaranteed. So don't wait. Don't be a lemming. You'll be re trying to retire and you'll still be waiting. It's an excuse. Don't accept excuses. Jump off the cliff, <laughs> build a parachute, right down, you'll be fine. <laughs> Leap into that bullet, yeah. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Well, as I say, thank you for coming on, Jason. I'll, I'll, I'll end this here. Um, and we'll definitely stay connected. If you are ever up in Liverpool or the world, let me know. It'd be good to go for a coffee. Yeah, come down to see our soft southerners, mate. Uh, we'll get out. <laughs> I'll take you out and we'll go out for dinner. And if I can get tickets to see Liverpool and Brighton, come on, Paul. or Everton and Brighton. I don't even know. <laughs> Happy days. Thank you so much, Jason, and all the best. And I'm sure we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll speak again soon. You too, mate. All the best. Take care. Cheers for now.